Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sustainable Finance Podcast. My name is Paul Ellis, and I'm your host for these programs about developments in this fast-growing industry. In April of 2023, the Monetary Authority of Singapore launched the Finance for Net Zero Action Plan to catalyze Asia's net zero transition and decarbonization activities. My guest today is Helga Munkel, Chief Sustainability Officer at DBS Bank. And we're going to talk about why establishing a roadmap for sustainability reporting by key financial institutions is a critical part of the Finance for Net Zero Action Plan. Helga and I will discuss why credible green and transition financing solutions are needed to support decarbonization efforts and climate risk mitigation. And the good news is that DBS is a global finance industry leader in the tracking and reporting of financed emissions, as well as offering retail banking initiatives that support sustainable investment strategies and clean energy climate transition practices at the household level. But first, I want to say a few words about our sponsor. If you're tuning into this podcast, you already understand the critical role finance plays in the transition to a sustainable future. With the right individuals leading the way in top companies, sustainability becomes more than just a buzzword. That's why we're excited to have Acre as our sponsor. As a world-leading sustainability search and recruitment company, Acre enables organizations to create real change by embedding and developing purpose-driven people in their teams. Visit the Acre website to learn more about their latest opportunities or to get in touch by building your perfect team. Hello, Helga, and welcome to the Sustainable Finance Podcast. Thank you very much for having me. Great to be connected. Yes, we're very glad to be in touch today, and we're going to jump right into the questions that we want to answer because there's a lot going on in Asia that we want to find out about related to sustainable finance. In fact, there's a growing global awareness that Asia will be a key battleground for the climate crisis. Can you explain for our followers why that is? Yeah, very good first question uh, to warm up. I think that's actually a very true perception. So Asia really is the 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 the, um, the center of the climate crisis or the battle against climate change, uh, and I think at least through two lenses. The first lens is the source of emissions. If you actually look back in time, if you look at the historically accumulated greenhouse gas emissions, then science tells us that the vast majority actually originated uh, in Europe and in Northern America. But given the fairly significant population growth and GDP growth here in Asia, naturally, the carbon emissions have also risen very, very strongly uh, here in Asia. And as a matter of fact, we expect um, to account for more than half of global carbon emissions uh, in the near future. And if you think about the fact that we have a very limited carbon budget left, so how much more carbon emissions can we actually put into the atmosphere? until we hit this famous 1.5 C scenario. So that means that global temperatures rise by 1.5 C as compared to pre-industrial levels. Then this remaining carbon budget, so the additional carbon emissions we can put into the atmosphere, is actually fairly limited. Uh, It is around 400 gigatons of greenhouse gas emissions, thereabouts, maybe a little bit less. And if we don't change the way we play, live, and work every single day on this planet, 
then we probably only have about seven or eight years left until we have exhausted this carbon budget. So noting that Asia is now a very, very significant source of carbon emissions, that is already um, a first uh, very important observation. The second lens is vulnerabilities. So let's not forget the purpose, the purpose of fighting climate change. The purpose is to protect communities, to protect human beings from the implications of climate change. Um, climate change can result in more heat stress. It can result in more extreme precipitation or all sorts of other events which actually impact us living on this beautiful planet. And here in Asia, very unfortunately, we have a lot of vulnerable vulnerable uh, communities. We have a lot of uh, mega cities that are in, in, um, in, in coastline areas, uh, but generally also our socioeconomic development is actually quite threatened. So there are all sorts of analytics, uh, analytics out there trying to assess how will future climate change impact, for example, GDP growth? And you then realize that Asia is one of the most vulnerable regions actually in the world. So both in terms of the sources of emissions, as well as um, the vulnerabilities that arise out of the implications of climate change, Asia really is the battleground. Okay, Helga, so you have spent almost two decades in Asia. What do you think are some of the misconceptions about the climate agenda in Asia? Um, well, I, maybe maybe first saying something, having been here for such a long time, there is no such thing as one Asia. Asia really is a very vast region. It's so culturally rich. It has so many cultures, customs and habits and languages. It's very, very difficult to put the entirety of Asia into one basket. It's a little bit like traveling to Europe and say, we would like to have some European food tonight. There is no European food. There's <laughs> Italian food, there's Spanish food, there's Portuguese food, and so on and so forth. Um, and I just wanted to stress that Asia is such a vast and heterogeneous region. So you have very, very developed countries, like um, think of Japan or South Korea or Singapore. And then you have many, many other countries which are definitely not as developed. Think of uh, Myanmar or Bangladesh uh, and so on and so forth. So I just wanted to maybe uh, set the scene a little bit on uh, Asia is really a very heterogeneous uh, region and we cannot just um, apply one size fits fits all. That's good. That's good. I, and I love food analogies. So <laughs> sorry, go ahead. <laughs> very good. Don't we all? Don't we all? Food is, by the way, uh, amazingly awesome here as well. Um, but when it comes to the climate crisis, then uh, what I very often sense from uh, peers, and I'm not sure whether this is representative or not, but what I fear, feel sometimes is that um, there is this perception that Asia is not serious about tackling climate change. And I think uh, this couldn't be further from the truth. Like literally on any level here in Asia, the people are addressing climate change and the climate crisis. Um, on government level, we now have, I think, around 25 countries that have submitted uh, net zero pledges on nation state level. So, for example, Singapore wants to be net zero by 2050, China by 2060, Indonesia by 2060, and so on and so forth. If you combine all of this, this is close to 50% of global greenhouse gas emissions. Are all these uh, net zero pledges already in a, in a very, very good shape? No, they're not, but we all need to start somewhere. And this is, uh, I think, already a very important uh, point. If you then uh, look at the private sector, there are a little bit more than 5,000 corporates globally that have um, science-informed uh, decarbonization uh, targets or have committed 
to implementing those. And a little bit more than 25% of those corporates um, are from Asia. Um, then the same is also true in the finance sector. We see more and more uh, financial institutions here in Asia are subscribing to um, either, um, for example, uh, um, uh, groups like the United Nations Pr uh, Principles for Responsible Investing or Net Zero Alliances like GFANS uh, and so on and so forth. As a matter of fact, uh, if you sometimes analyze uh, who are the largest financiers of um, fossil fuels, it's uh, typically uh, not really uh, banks from from this region. So then we have also um, developments uh, in the society at large. There are all sorts of surveys, especially in more developed countries in Asia, which show that the people really uh, are aware of climate change and they also want to do something about it. So all levels of society, government, regulators, the private sector, the finance sector, the community, everybody uh, is more and more not only aware of what is going on, but also willing to do something about it. Now, the complexity of tackling climate here in Asia arises out of the fact that we are not a homogeneous, rich region. And uh, if you were a homogeneous, rich region, then taking certain climate actions is simply easier to buffer. Here in Asia, we need to still make sure that people have access to fresh water, to electricity, enough food on the plate, given the heterogeneous nature of Asia, as I mentioned to you. I think if I get the number correct, there are still roughly 150 million people uh, in Asia that don't have access to electricity. So all sorts of things that I think in, in Europe and in the US we're quite used to, and also in more developed countries in Asia we're used to, in vast amount of Asia are not really there. So how do you cater for both? climate action or also the tackling of other sustainability challenges, because it's not only about climate, but at the same time, making sure that people can live well. And live well means a lot of things. It means having access to fresh water. It means having shelter. It means having access to medical services. Um, it means that your rights are being observed and so on and so forth. It's a very complex uh, situation. And uh, sometimes the leaders of countries might be um, in a situation where they have to take certain uh, trade-off decisions. Do I take a certain climate action, but this might actually impact, for example, jobs. People might lose their jobs in certain areas. And I'm not saying we should not, do um, should not tackle climate change. I'm just saying the interconnectedness of issues is quite um, complex here in Asia. We need to take care of that. So it's less that people don't want to, but it's actually um, fairly complicated. But what I see is really very positive. There's definitely an acceleration of efforts. Good. Now, of course, uh, here in North America, and, and perhaps also somewhat in Europe, we think of Asia as being the other side of the world. Uh, and uh, from a climate change perspective and climate risk perspective, our listeners are, and investors are not always tuned into why this should matter to them what is going on in the Asian economies as well. So spend just a moment uh, focusing on a couple of points related to that, if you will. Yeah, maybe two comments on this. Sure. Uh, the first one is on climate and climate action. Um, a ton of carbon is a ton of carbon is a ton of carbon. It doesn't really matter whether it's emitted in upstate New York, in Southern California, in Chile, or in Bangladesh. 
Whatever we as humans put into the atmosphere is in the atmosphere. And we are accumulating greenhouse gas emissions. And ultimately, what is driving climate change is really the accumulation of greenhouse gas emissions in the atmosphere. So on climate, we are all in the same boat. And the last time I checked, we're actually all living on the same planet. So there should be a vested interest that we talk with each other, that we're trying to find solutions with each other. This is not about finger pointing. We don't have time for this anymore. Um, there is a certain historical responsibility, which I think um, European and Northern American counterparts simply have to accept. But it doesn't mean that we should now uh, continue finger pointing. We need to uh, find common solutions and look into the into the future. The, the The second element is it's not only about climate. Maybe uh, let us remind ourselves that there are seventeen United Nations Sustainability Development Goals. Seventeen. And there are 17 for a reason. There are actually quite a lot of sustainability challenges that we face. There is loss of nature, biodiversity. There is a whole raft of social considerations and so on and so forth. So I think the world is very interconnected, very, very interconnected. And I think we need to be mindful of these interconnections. Um, if you go into a nice supermarket in North America or Europe, and buy a t-shirt for five bucks and may even complain that it is too expensive, you need to maybe think through where this t-shirt comes from. What's the global supply chain? What, what has resulted in this t-shirt being on the shelves here in my supermarket? And let's then maybe jointly think through how we can make uh, the world a better place. So on climate change, it doesn't really matter. Whatever we put into the atmosphere is creating uh, climate change. But I think on a broader level, it is not only about climate. We are living in a very interconnected world. We are benefiting also from this interconnection. Let's not forget, it's a beautiful thing. But that also means that we have a common responsibility to make the world a better place. Yes, and I, I couldn't agree with you more from, from that perspective. And as you were saying, uh, things like nature-based solutions, whether it's to address climate, the climate crisis, or for their own sake, are so important to this entire process, and that's all over the world as well. So, and again, the size of the climate crisis is more than any one country or a company can tackle. Uh, but from your perspective, working for a large Asian bank and being originally from Europe, how do you how do you think we're going to work a way forward on this whole complex uh, uh, system of 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 issues that we're trying to coordinate? Yeah. Um, so look, the challenge on climate change is very daunting. I said to you before, we have a carbon budget of maybe a little bit less than 400 gigatons of greenhouse gas emissions left that we can put into the atmosphere, and then we're hitting this 1.5 C um, scenario. So again, stressing. The temperatures are rising by 1.5 C as compared to pre-industrial levels. And people can sometimes not really figure out what does this actually all mean. Let me give you one number. If global temperatures rise by 2 degrees as opposed to only 1.5 degrees Celsius as compared to pre-industrial levels, an additional 200 million people on the planet will suffer from heat and water stress. 200 additional million people. So this sometimes always sounds very scientific and technical, but it has real impacts on real people. Let's not forget about this. And let's not forget, hence, what the purpose is. The purpose is to combat climate change, to protect communities. 
So given this daunting challenge, uh, we need to really act extremely fast. As said, if we don't change anything, we have another, whatever, seven or eight years left until that carbon budget is uh, is, is exhausted. And then we need to fight for every date cement of additional temperature rises. But let me stress first something positive. When I was a young boy, I didn't have gray hair back then, um, I read a book. Uh, it was called The Limits of Growth. I think it was actually written in the mid-70s, if I'm not mistaken, was sponsored by the Club of Rome. Club of Rome, that's and, right. Yeah, exactly. And I was a young chap, and we loved debating, so we were all hanging out discussing this book. But in the later part of the 80s and so on and so forth, nobody cared about sustainability. The Soviet Union had just collapsed, and everyone looked at the U.S. This was the prevailing economic system. And everybody was really tuned in, profit maximization, economic growth, bum, 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 bum. And the sustainability challenges were a little bit brushed aside. You know, 30, 40 years fast forward, we live in a very different world. Of course, we feel and see climate change all around us and the implications thereof. But I also see a lot of positivity. I see a lot of acceleration of efforts. I mentioned a few data points before on government levels, regulatory level, private sector, finance sector and the community at large. So I just would like to say that we're absolutely not yet doing enough in terms of uh, tackling climate change, but I see this acceleration, which is which is very positive. Now, what do we need to do? We need to sustain this acceleration of efforts and we need to indeed work together. And I think sometimes we don't really always have to wait for the big bang. Um, for example, once a year, there is a huge army of people meeting uh, we call this the COP process, the conferences of the parties, UN convened, and it's a gigantic number of people coming together discussing uh, what we can do. And quite frankly, the progress has been mediocre at best, right? We've had now 27 COPs. We're going to have a 28th one reasonably soon. And it's complicated because it's 190 plus countries having to agree on something. So it's not easy. So what, what keeps me positive, and I think what we need to focus on, is the little steps that everybody can do. Everybody in this ecosystem play, government, regulator, private sector, finance sector, all of us embedded in the community at large, everybody can do something. And to the extent possible, we should collaborate and find joint solutions. It doesn't always have to be this big bang on global level where a cop tells us what to do. It can very much be financial institutions coming together uh, and acting in collaboration with the private sector on certain projects or something like this. But we need an ecosystem play and the positivity and just focus on on the good things we can do and not only just focus on the stuff that's currently um still still too complicated i know it sounds a bit generic but i think it's really really important i i completely agree with you and speaking of time uh we're getting fairly short on time so i did want to focus for a couple of moments though on where financial institutions like dbs fit into this plan from your perspective uh because um, financing is what drives um uh, climate change mitigation in, a, in addition to uh, driving climate change. So uh, give us some thoughts on DBS's position and how you're moving that forward. I think banks have at least two critical roles to play in society. The, the first one is reallocation of capital. There is going to be gigantic investment and financing needs to move to a lower carbon society. And banks are critical in providing the capital to make this happen. 
So reallocating capital away from polluting towards lower carbon or zero carbon alternatives is absolutely critical. And the second element is innovation. We can also foster innovation. Everybody in the ecosystem can do this. There are going to be brilliant minds uh, on the engineering side. There are going to be brilliant minds on so many other areas in the real economy, but also banks can innovate. So we are providing, for example, very innovative digital services to our retail customers to make them more aware of sustainability challenges, to offer them products in a very seamless uh, digital way. So maybe just very briefly on DBS, we ourselves have actually um, set up a very ambitious sustainability agenda for our institution, um, specifically on climate. We published last year a report which we called Our Path to Net Zero, in which we described in great detail how we selected science informed decarbonization pathways and also set 2030 decarbonization targets for our lending and financing activities. And that is, as of today, still among the most comprehensive and ambitious decarbonization plan of any bank in the world. And then for our retail customers, we've developed a one stop digital solution. We call this Live Better. And Live Better is really a platform which allows customers to learn about sustainability, to invest in ESG opportunities, to get green or sustainable lending products, uh, and also to understand their own carbon footprint. So we also added a carbon calculator actually into this platform. It's very seamless, it's very easy to use, and it's a great means for customers to um, understand better and to act upon sustainability challenges. We are also working, for example, with our SME customers, so small and medium-sized customers, on uh, AI and ML solutions that will help them to quantify their scope three emissions, because SMEs are typically customers that are a little bit overlooked. Um, many banks often focus on the large corporates. So how can we actually help SMEs? And that's, for example, one of the things we can do. Uh, we are also coming up with new financing structures. Um, for example, um, just two weeks ago, we actually published uh, together with GFANS, which is a global alliance of financial institutions that are committed to net zero. We published a public consultation on how to phase out coal. Um, and for that, we need new financing structures. We need what we call blended finance, where we put public and private capital together uh, to make these structures work. And maybe a last point on innovation, we also always look beyond our customers. I mentioned our retail customers, our SME customers, our large corporate clients, but we also look beyond. So for example, we are a founding shareholder of Climate Impact X, CIX, which is a Singapore headquartered, but really global carbon market and exchange. And despite all the contentiousness, carbon credits can be an effective tool in unlocking capital for the net zero transition. So being a founding shareholder there, thinking really also in ecosystems, how can we uh, facilitate new solutions is quite important. Yes, well, Helga, thank you very much for your time today. We didn't get into the details of DBS Live Better, but if you can supply us with some links that give people information about how that program is being rolled out to uh, consumers uh, on a day-to-day -day basis in, in your business throughout Asia, we'd really appreciate it. Also, can you tell us where online our listeners can learn more about DBS's sustainable finance initiatives, and how can they get in touch with you regarding the topics that we've discussed in today's episode? Absolutely. Just type into Google DBS and sustainability, and you immediately find everything you can uh, on the web. Uh, and as for myself, uh, just shoot me a message. 
either on LinkedIn or via email, and then I'm very happy to chat. Maybe we can put this into the into the notes of the show later. Yes, that sounds like an excellent idea. We really appreciate you taking the time today. So I want to thank Helga Munkel of DBS Bank and for our listeners. If you're ready to take your team to the next level, or if you're an experienced sustainability professional, visit the Acre website to get in touch. With the right individuals leading the way in your company, sustainability becomes more than a buzzword. Let Acre enable real change by embedding and developing purpose-driven people in your teams. And to our followers, join us again next week for another episode. I'm Paul Ellis, and this is the Sustainable Finance Podcast. Thank you.